Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2404. Today we're going racing. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm with a racer, a guy that holds a record when it comes to racing, uh, somebody who really enjoys getting behind the wheel by the name of Jasper Drangler. Jasper, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Oh, I'm bouncing off the rev limiter right now. <laughs> Good. Awesome. I love it. Well, let's uh, get started by, and you're a regular listener here, and I really appreciate that, by asking that very first question, which is, What's one little thing that most people don't know about you, Jasper? Well, aside from my racing, I am the only person in my job professional career that has every single master certification available. So I do a lot of expert witness work. I spend a lot of time preparing and going over photos and prepping for court cases. It's not the most enjoyable part of my job, but it's something that I'm very, very good at. So um, most people just know me for my racing and, uh, you know, for the stuff I build, but they, I don't know that I actually uh, do a lot of work behind the scenes. Yeah, well, before I introduce you, because that's pretty much all we're going to be talking about today is your racing and cars and things like that. What is this other career? So I build fireplaces, anything from just a, a plain average family home fireplace to fireplaces that cost more than uh, a year's racing budget. And as a result, I've earned four different master certifications. I'm certified to install uh, any type of fuel. I make my own custom burner pans for hotels, restaurants, and large homes. And uh, I travel the country doing it. People will will hire my company to drive as far as Arizona, all the way up through the Northeast, um, all over the country to build one-of-a-kind, amazing master fireplaces. Wow. So this begs a question for you, because a lot of homes have fireplaces in them. What's the number one thing somebody who has a fireplace in their home that they should do to keep it safe? You just have to have it inspected regularly. Uh, the number one thing that I find when I go and look at a house that's burnt down are bird's nests and clearances and improper maintenance. Um, fireplaces and, and chimneys need uh, regular inspections. Uh, the National Chimney Soup Guild recommends yearly inspections and cleaning as needed. And it's so many times if the technician would just have gone on the roof and done a little bit better inspection, we could save houses from burning down. Wow. Well, I would imagine most people don't do that. They probably don't even think about it. And is that the same for both wood burning and gas fireplaces? For both wood and gas. So the National Fire Protection Agency, the National Chimney Soup Guild, and the Chimney Safety Institute of America will all tell you the same thing. To have every single uh, burning appliance inspected every year and make sure it's by a certified technician, somebody that's actually gone out and earned a certification. In a lot of states, it's not required, which is crazy, but I make every single one of my technicians go to school, earn the certification before I send them out to tell people it's okay to start a fire in their house. 
Uh, yeah, no kidding. Don't play with fire. Uh, it's very, very dangerous. Fascinating. Well, let's get into the car world because this isn't fire. Yeah, it's cars. Yeah. Although I guess you could do an entire podcast about that, about being safe and all those things. So let me give you an introduction here, Jasper. Jasper Drangler is a racer who last spring became the first driver to race in all 50 states. Wow. Since he could crawl, Jasper has been infatuated with cars, and for the last 17 years of his life, he attended the Indy 500. He spent most of his weekends at Wisconsin Short Tracks uh, back in the day watching races, and after finishing school, he hopped into a race car and started racing himself, sometimes as many as five races a week. And over the last 23 years, he's earned some championships at local tracks, touring series, and an SCCA conference championship. Jasper also spent several years racing racing professionally. We'll learn a lot more about this and how he has done all this in a few moments, but first a word from our sponsors, so give them a little love. They'll put some petrol in the tanks here, and we'll be right back. Buckle up. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So Jasper, we are back. So I want to dive a little deeper in the corner and go back in time here. What got you on this quest to go racing? And obviously, you've continued to be able to do this. I would assume that your day job, saving houses from burning down, has financed this endeavor because I did race for some years, and it's no cheap endeavor, that's for sure. But but racing, what was the first thing? How did this get into your blood? Well, as a child, just attending races, uh, I, I loved it. Um, I sat on the very first row uh, cheering on the cars that my dad had sponsored back in the day, and that's all I wanted to do. And having a, a lot of siblings and my parents, as I got old enough to, were, weren't able to help me out. So I just had to work, and I would work as many jobs as I had to to be able to afford to go racing. 
so back in the early 2000s, I was able to race five nights a week and the, the payout wasn't great. Gas was cheap. And when you can bring home just a little bit more money than your entry fee and your tires and your gas costs, Bonus. it's yeah. very addictive. <laughs> yeah. Very, very so, addictive. So wait, I have to stop you here because everybody listening who's a racer is going, wait a minute, you can actually do that? How did you do that? So so what kind of racing were you doing where they actually would pay you enough that would offset your costs? What kind of racing was that? So I was racing small little front-wheel drive uh, four-cylinder cars on both dirt and asphalt tracks. Mm -hmm. And I was getting about $100 a night. And in Wisconsin, we have so many tracks and the rules were so similar. Um, I was driving used tires. I worked at a tire shop part-time. So my tires cost me five, 10 bucks a piece. The gas, I might have been using uh, my boss's work truck to tow, so that really wasn't costing me anything. <laughs> yeah. And so if the entry fee is 20 bucks and I can take home 100 um, that math worked for me back then. Yeah. Well, this is very ingenious of you. And what I love about this is a lot of people I talk with, and, and back when I was vintage racing, you know, very pricey. And people would say, well, you know, how on earth can you afford to do that? And, well, I have a day job and, you know, my wife very tolerant of how I spend our money. But you figured out a very inexpensive way to do it. That's an option for people. I think that's awesome. So when I first started looking into road racing and, and SCCA and what those budgets were, I thought that was astronomical compared to what I was paying on the little local oval tracks. So there was a little bit of sticker shock there, but there is entry level ways to get into motorsports that can be very economical. Lots of small little clubs that aren't nationally known. Uh, going to the local dirt track or asphalt oval track and getting into their really low entry series um, doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg. I think it's fantastic. And I would imagine all of those, I mean, the time you're putting in, you're doing what every racer needs, and that is getting seat time. All of that adds up and builds up to your expertise as you move up in ranks and start racing other cars too, right? Absolutely. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons I love racing in the rain right now because of all my experience on, on dry, slick dirt tracks and playing around on the frozen lakes, you give me a road course with a nice, heavy rain, and I'll work until I find the rain line, and, and I love a loose car. So, you know, that, that's my world. Well, as you got into this and did more and more, I, I mentioned in your intro that eventually you started doing some more professional-type racing. So what was the evolution of this process from those early days? What were the next steps? Uh, so after those early days, I started uh, with a touring series that doesn't exist anymore, and it branched out to the neighboring state, and that was a lot of fun. And then I started in what was uh, the Chump Car Series to race at Road America because I had always just wanted to race there, and that was my way to find my way onto that track, mm -hmm. uh, being that it's just a couple hours from home. So then after that, I started looking at some of my bucket list tracks. I wanted to go to Laguna Seca. I wanted to race at Coda. And I came across, at the time, it was the Pirelli World Challenge, or as we know now, Touring Car America. And I started reaching out to people that rented cars and getting prices. And there was some sticker shock. And I made a deal to race a car just a couple times a year. So as long as that car owner didn't find a full-time driver... I would get to race it for those two races. And sure enough, he found someone to drive the car for the whole year. So I was out. Mm. So I did some more researching and I was looking around and I was on racing junk and I found uh, Glenn Nixon's car up in Canada was for sale. And the price looked really cheap compared to the rental that I was looking at. And at that time, I had no clue how much this endeavor was going to cost. <laughs> uh, but I ran up there and I imported that car from Canada. 
and I paid what I thought was my entry fee uh, for the year. And then I found out that the fee I paid did not include the entry fee. And so the budget doubled pretty much overnight. Uh, but I did a few years in Pirelli World Challenge in the TCB class and loved it. It was a great experience going around with a professional series all across the country. And the second year, I managed to find myself on the podium a handful of times. Well, see, all those early days of driving in the mud and the rain, the asphalt and the dirt and all that, that's where it all started to pay off, right? Absolutely. And, you know, the first year I, I learned really quickly that I needed some more coaching and that I didn't know what I was doing. I definitely didn't know how to set the car up. I drove around the country with my dog and I was the guy working on the car versus all these guys that had engineers and coaches and, you know, a small army to prepare them. But um, it was a crash course and it was a wonderful experience. Well, the fact that you did it, my hat's off to you because a lot of people would have given up a lot sooner. And yeah, I can see where it's intimidating. I ran into some of the same thing because when I was vintage racing, some of the times I would show up by myself and there'd be these people that would have a ride and drive and all of this stuff. And you'd kind of look around and go, well, okay, I'll just do the best that I can. But I, I think at that point, it's just about the experience. You know, it's just about doing it. And that leads me to this next question is what's your favorite thing about racing? I love the challenge. So I get really bored going to the same track every single weekend, racing the same people, the same car. So I love the thrill of the first time going on a new track and learning the line and the constant improvement all week long. I have buddies that do track days and they go to the same track every couple of weekends and just try to better their lap time. And that's fun. You know, you come home, you tweak the car, you tweak yourself, you go back out you're a little bit better. But when you can go to a new track and watch seconds drop every time you go out on a course, that's great. And I love the thrill of the competition. Uh, racing a stopwatch is fun. Um, there's a few events that I have on my list that I'm going to be doing that, but I love the wheel to wheel action. Oh, well, what fun. And the fact that you've raced in 50 states is pretty amazing. So maybe touch on Maybe we can just hit on like two, three, or four tracks that you look back now and you go, oh my gosh, that thing was everything I ever dreamed it to be. Oh, well, Alaska was more than I ever dreamed it could Alaska. be. Alaska. Okay. Now, most people are going, they race in Alaska? Absolutely. So there's Alaska Raceway Park. It's a beautiful oval track. I rented a car. So a lot of these tracks, I would fly in and rent a car and fly home. Um, but going to Alaska was a unique experience. I got there and I was welcomed. Uh, some tracks, not so much super welcoming, but Alaska was super welcoming. And it wasn't until after the races that I realized that there were no lights at the track because the track is still lit. Yep. <laughs> and you know, everyone's starting to get tired and go home. And I was still on this adrenaline rush from racing around and having the time of my life. I forgot to be tired and I forgot <laughs> that it was. Here's a quote. I forgot to be tired. <laughs> So Alaska was amazing. You know, the very first time going over the corkscrew at Laguna Seca was mm. unbelievable. That was the track that until then I had seen on TV and adrenaline rush of trusting the car. Uh, it, that was a unique experience. Yeah, that place is insane. That's where I got my racing license. And uh, yeah, I, I still, my stomach still goes, woo, <laughs> when I remember the first times uh, coming up that hill and then you see nothing and then, woo, sharp left, quick, quick right. Wow, that was cool. Let's do that again. So, well, Laguna Seca definitely is one. How about another track? So one of the few times where I had goosebumps and butterflies in my stomach and I just 
thought I was dreaming was the very first time that I felt the bricks um, at speed down the front stretch of uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. So that track is the only reason why I joined SCCA to uh, run their, their regular Super Tour Series or their SCCA club racing. I had already had, had my pro license. And I didn't really have a huge interest in it until I heard the runoffs were at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So I then had to enter a few races and get myself qualified. And I finished sixth there. And at that point, I thought that was going to be the best moment of my racing career until four years later when I got to kiss the bricks. So getting to kiss the bricks as a winner at the track during a seven-hour endurance race uh, topped that. Uh, that finish as well. So to this point, that's still one of the most amazing moments in my motorsports career. I did get to go to Germany and run the Nürburgring once, and that's right up there on my on my list of coolest in-car moments. Uh, but I think winning at Indy is still number one. Well, winning at Indy, oh, no kidding. That's just incredible. Right, is there anybody else you know of that has been able to achieve all 50 states, racing in all 50 states? So NASCAR driver Kenny Schrader is at 49. I found him a few months back and chatted, and he wanted his first question is, well, what would you do at Rhode Island? So Rhode Island doesn't have a permanent race course, and so we entered a, a go-kart Grand Prix race. <laughs> nice. Every once in a while, they'll have an indoor sprint car midget race. And so I keep checking the internet. The next time that they have one of those, I'm going to get myself entered into that because I would like to up that level a little bit. But I'm pretty sure Mr. Kenny Schrader will also be at that track getting his 50th state crossed <laughs> off. Yeah, I would guess so. Well, you talked a little bit about the ring. Are there some other tracks around the world that you've driven? Have you been to Spa? Spa is still on my list to do. I did go down to the Bend in South Australia mm. and race down there in a ute. Uh, that was a pretty cool experience. The owner of the car asked me when I get to turn one, am I going to shift or roll down the window? Because it was the first time driving a manual with the left, left hand side oh. shifter. Oh yeah. But that was a wonderful experience, uh, over in Australia. How about New Zealand? I know people have done a lot of racing there. I had a race scheduled for New Zealand for this year and the car owner called me about two weeks before and they were having some, some issues with the car. Uh, so that's been put off now until 2024, but New Zealand is definitely going to happen. Yeah, I think so. My first vintage race car was a 1960 Lotus and it had a Renault Dauphine gearbox and the shifter was on the left, which took some getting used to, but the other part of it was the H pattern was backward. So first gear was up into the right. Oh, that's fun. Well, that made going from third to fourth, you had to be very thoughtful because if you accidentally go from third to second, thinking you're going into fourth, kaboom, <laughs> especially that little delicate gearbox. That, yeah, it took some getting used to. Yeah, I did a number of, uh, I drove a number of cars at a track day over at Goodwood and it was the same thing. The the passenger in the left seat was really nervous as soon as he realized I was an American, but mm -hmm. I only dropped a wheel once uh, on the exit of, on the exit coming out to the straightaway. And uh, he glanced over it, looked at me, and I smiled, and we just kept right on going. You know, I had a similar experience because I raced a 1967 Alola T290, and you were driving on the other side of the car on the right. And the first couple of laps, I kept dropping the, the left tires, thinking, you know, I was in a different place. And uh, came in, we were doing practice laps, and the, the guy that was behind me said, you know, you're dropping your tires off on these corners. You know, I said, I know, I know. It's just my body's 
thinking I'm on the other side of the car. He goes, I know, but um, you don't want to do that during the race. So it takes a little bit of getting used to. I want to ask you a little bit about mentors. And I'm wondering if in your life around the racing world, if there's a racing mentor that stands out for you or somebody that's been influential. So my high school shop teacher, uh, Mr. Fred Beyer, when I was in high school, I wasn't really interested in learning while I was in school, and, but they had a race car. And so for the Vica Club, which is our vocational uh, club that met after school, we built this Buick Sky Hawk or Skylark, this big, massive car to go ice racing. And we had to build the studded tires and keep the engine running and do some body work. So I believe it was a Skylark, a, a really large four-door beast of a car. And in order to get to drive the car on the frozen lake, we had to have good grades and show up for school. And so, you know, that was enough motivation for me to keep my grades up and work a little bit harder so that I could get to play with the race car on the weekends with the Vica Club. And, you know, Mr. Beyer was a, a great person in my life. We're still friends to this day. And his wife ended up helping my son through some learning disabilities in his elementary school career. So that, that family is just, uh, you know, I'm in my 40s and I'm still friends with my high school shop teacher. And I think that's pretty awesome. That's really awesome. Pretty darn rare. And there, there are those teachers in all of our lives that really stand out. We wish they all could be like that, but it's like anything. But uh, that's tremendous. Now, Challenges. I like to ask questions about those because it helps listeners who might be going through similar things realize that there is a way out of challenges. When it comes to this world of racing, I can't even imagine how you could probably do a whole show on this. Uh, what would you say is the biggest challenge of trying and being a guy who races in every state and even more? So that was pretty easy in hindsight uh, because. When you show up to a track that you're not familiar with and you race against people, you're allowed some leniency in the rules or in the specifications because you're just there for one night. Um, there were a couple tracks where they didn't think that way and they didn't want me to unload the car and they were scared of an outsider showing up. And there were tracks where the local drivers weren't excited to see you there and, you know, they'd, they'd put an extra fender to you and they'd move you out of the way and I remember one track, I unloaded my car out of the trailer and a guy comes over and he says, that's a real pretty car. It's not going to leave here looking like that. And oh they kept their promise. So, wow. you know, there's been some adversity. You know, I've had, I had some gallons of gasoline, some jugs walk off at a track one night and we, you just move on. It's not a big deal. Wow. And we never publicize the, the bad things or the bad tracks. I'm a, I'm real big in never saying anything negative about a racetrack in public. You know, mm -hmm. we're losing too many of them as a whole, but I'll make sure to promote the good ones as best I can. Yeah, that's really discouraging uh, when you hear something like that, because you like to think that like the car hobby, that everybody is welcoming. At least I know in vintage racing, it was really the opposite. Everywhere I went, anywhere I went, people wanted to help. I even had times where cars, parts broke on the cars we didn't have and people would come up and say, here, you can have my clutch. You know, and it's just, uh, but that's vintage racing, which is kind of different. And most tracks, that was, that's how it worked. You'd show up, they're happy to meet you, handshakes, and they'd feed you afterwards and everyone was friends. But there were a couple of those small rinky-dink towns that they just didn't like the outsiders showing up, especially if they were fast. Yeah, I was going to say they didn't want to be beat. So if you have a, a track right now in your mind that's a bucket list track, what would it be? 
Uh, well, I've got a few bucket list <laughs> yeah, items. Um, I'm sure you do. The biggest ones are I want to compete in the Baja 1000. Oh, wow. And I want to make a timed pass down the salt flats. Mm-hmm. And I want to win a race at Daytona. Uh, I've raced there before, but I want to collect a win there. I don't care in what series. And I want to knock off one more international racetrack per year until I can't do it anymore. Uh, Jasper, you're incredible. I mean, I'm just blown away here. Uh, There's a lot of racers out there listening going, this guy is hard to keep up with. Oh, my gosh. Well, let's talk about one special vehicle, one special car that stands out for you in your past. What would that be? So I've had the privilege of driving lots of cars, and some of them very expensive, some of them not so much. But there's an E30 that my buddy owns that is very special to me. It's not the prettiest car. It's not the fastest car. uh, But it's the car that we won at Indianapolis with. And that is the driving that car that day was the first time I remember choking up and, and tearing up in a car. It was during COVID. My son was there because he was part of the crew, but there were no fans. Uh, it wasn't on TV, um, but that race, just there was so much emotion and, and awe around it. That car will always be special to me. By any chance, was it an M3 or was it a standard E30 that had been built into a race car? So it was not a, a factory M3. Uh, it was a standard car that has a lot of go-fast parts on it. It's got some nice aero pieces. It's it's much faster than a standard M3 would have been. It's not going to win any any car shows, and the owner of the car likes it that way because it kind of flies under the radar, but nothing else drives like it. I'm going to get to hop in that car again this year at Road America, and there's just something about it. I've got an, a newer E36 M3 that isn't as much fun to drive as that old beater. Yeah. Ah, wonderful cars. Fantastic. So here's the psychology question where I crawl into your head a little bit. If you were reincarnated, manifest as a vehicle, what would you be and why? Well, when I, if I thought about myself as a car, I'd probably be a late 90s Honda. Okay. It's got a little bit of rust. It might have a dent or two. I'm not too tech savvy, um, but it's easy to figure, make it run. You know, it, it doesn't even need to be completely full on oil because it's probably leaking a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, its value is rising. So I think that that's what I would relate myself to at this point. Nicely done. Great answer to that. How about a great book? As you know, as a regular listener, we love books here. Is there a great book you'd like to share? So being a blue collar guy and uh, not the the most literate person in the world, uh, two of the books that I enjoyed reading were Blue Collar Gold and Back to Bulletproof. Um, They're written by industry people that I know uh, that are in the trades. And it's just good motivational reading for someone that's about to take the leap to go out on their own and work for themselves. And just the constant reminder that you can't get up the mountain without falling down a few times. Mm, Nice. Nicely done. Those are also two books that nobody have recommended here or has recommended here. And uh, that's pretty cool. I like it when new books are added to the the list of of, uh, books recommended here on Cars Yeah. So I'll make sure I put those on a Jasper's show notes page. So let's go on the ultimate drive, Jasper. Now being a racer, I think we're going to go racing here. So let's frame it that way. I'm going to buy you any race car in the world. You can take it to any track in the world. I'm even going to provide you with the ultimate driving coach. Let's put that in there. This could be an actual coach or it could be a hero of yours that is a race car driver. And it could be somebody from the past who's no longer with us. So what is the ultimate 
racetrack drive look like for you? Oh, man. So I love the Nürburgring and driving there because of its sheer size, it would take a long time before the track got old or you'd, you stopped seeing improvement. And I've been told by many people that my grandfather drived like a crazy man, and that's probably where I get some of my personality from, but I never met him. So while there might be somebody that could drive a lot faster, I would just want to get in the passenger seat. I wouldn't want to drive. I would want to just pay attention to every story he had to tell and just get to hang out with him. Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, That would be absolutely awesome. And what would you like to be driving around the track in, having, having your granddad drive? I think we're going to, you know, he, he died many, many years ago. So, you know, I'd normally say something like a GT3 RS, but let's tone it back a little bit and let's get him uh, an E36 M3 and something simp- a little bit simpler. And uh, that way I won't be too scared. <laughs> Smart guy. I'll tell you, that's the first car that I ever took on a track. I had one as a, I had two of them actually as uh, daily drivers, uh, commuter cars, but that's the first car that I took to a BMW club event to see if racing was something I wanted to do. I uh, had a set of slicks that I would put two in the trunk and two in the back seat with the seat belts wrapped around them and uh, take that car to tracks. And that's what led me to vintage racing. So uh, wonderful cars. And what's great now is you're starting to see some of those survivors come back on Bring a Trailer and uh, people selling those E36 M3s. So I've got one in my garage, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Oh, yep. nice. What color is it? So underneath the wrap, it's white. Uh, right now, we've got it wrapped up to look like one of our race cars. Ah, but nice. underneath it, it's it's pure white. White? Okay, that's right. I had a good friend that had one that was white with a red interior, which I don't know if I've ever seen another one like that. So uh, very, very cool. Well, You know what, Jasper, you've taken us on a wonderful race today. I'm just uh, amazed at what you've done. I'm so happy that we got together. I want to ask you for maybe some parting thoughts, uh, words of wisdom, a success quote, or some inspirational words for people that would like to get on a race but haven't pulled the trigger yet from a guy who's figured out how to do it. Just go to the track. Um, Even if you don't plan to get on the track that day, uh, every single track across the country has got something going on every weekend of the summer. And just go to the track. Uh, you'll be welcome with open, open arms and uh, start making friends and just hang out. And slowly you'll, you'll find a way to get on track, even if it's just a track day or a time trial. Or you're just driving around on like a track night of America, just pacing around to tracks and, and dreaming what it would like to get to go around at speed. Yep. Just go to the track. Best advice I've ever heard. How can people follow along with you and learn more about what you're doing? Do you keep a a social media presence so people can see where you're at? So if somebody would like to see the list of 130 tracks that I've raced at so far, you can find that on Facebook under the uh, Dringler Racing page. You can follow that, like it. Um, And you can find me, Jasper Dringler, on most social media platforms. Facebook is probably the best place to follow us. I put some goofy stuff on TikTok that's chimney and car related. But yeah, feel free to follow. I'm going to the Baja 1000 to work this November. And I, I've got a lot of, a lot of goals. And I'm just going to keep checking off tracks all over the country. 
I have no doubt you're going to do that. Um, I did get to do a pre-run, a uh, half-day pre-run way, way back uh, down there in Baja. And uh, all I could say is I couldn't wait to get out of that car. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. I wasn't driving, and I don't do very well in the other seat. But uh, it was not one of these big monster trucks with a lot of throw. We got bounced around pretty good. It was an old kind of a, I guess they call them kind of like a sand rail, but, uh, you know, a Baja-type vehicle. Uh, but you're going to have fun for sure, especially being at the wheel. Jasper, hey, thank you for uh, inspiring all of us to get out there and live and do our dreams. You're a guy who walks his talk and he's done it. Uh, absolutely amazed at what you've done. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you probably at a racetrack somewhere. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. You too. If you're listening to this program, there's a pretty good chance you believe what I believe, that the collector vehicles we love are more than just a means of getting from one place to the other. They're a part of our culture, our identity, and as a people, they bring us together at vintage races, classic car auctions, and thousand-mile rallies. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these important vehicles aren't lost to time. RPM stands for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship. And their goal is to inspire the next generation of vehicle restoration professionals through its outreach programs. And they include Shop Hop, Off to the Races, the RPM Future Class, and many others. These programs engage talented young people across the country and connect them with mentors and a variety of opportunities in the industry. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of collector vehicles skill trade, visit rpm.foundation today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to carsyeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!